Um, our next speaker is Sandile Mbile, um, who we're touching on professionalism and ethics and kind of the banking realm. Um, to give you guys a brief introduction, Sandile is a fellow of the Actuarial Society of South Africa and a co-director at African Origins Actuarial Solutions. Um, he has a long history in life assurance and pension work, most recently as a retirement funds consulting actuary at All Mutual and as a member of the Professional Matters Board of ASA. Would you please join me in welcoming Sandilia to the stage? Okay, uh, good, good morning, good afternoon, I think. Um, when I got invited here, the first thing that I said I would do is just do a quick scan just to see how a banking actually looks like. Um, and I think I'm not, I'm not disappointed, because I know, I know how pensions actually look like. Uh, I mean, look, <laughs> yeah, and I do feel like when I walked in here, I did increase the average age a bit. So, <clears throat> but anyway, um, actuaries are actuaries. Okay, um, the, the Professional Metals Board um, sets out to, to engage uh, with you, the members of the Actuarial Society, on matters of professionalism. And the manner of engagement uh, varies from time to time, and uh, it includes uh, discussions of various lifelike and sometimes real-life case studies that touch on uh, matters of professionalism. Today's session is, is no different. Uh, We've had one in the, with the uh, life assurance session this year already, and last year we had um, uh, one with the short-term side as well. So it's the first time that we actually interact with uh, actuaries in the banking uh, fraternity. And our aim is to encourage members of the society to discuss these matters as frequently as they can find time to, in, a, in any manner, whether it's formal or whether it's informal. Because unfortunately, the general discussions around professionalism tend to take a backstage to the technical matters that we meet in our day-to-day -day work. And during the formal sessions at conventions and conferences like, like yours today, we invite you, uh, the delegates to the conference, and encourage you to discuss the issues that are raised by the case studies and uh, we ask you, as you're sitting here, to group yourselves with the people that you're sitting next to so that you can then be able to, to engage in the discussion of the case studies. So if you're sitting on your own, so I suggest you then find somebody you can sit close to, uh, unless otherwise you've got that skill of being able to converse with yourself, <laughs> um, which might be very useful at times. Some issues might be uh, controversial uh, and worthy of attention, but then some might not be so controversial and might appear not to be so um, controversial or, or, or useful, but actually they are. Uh, I'm having a problem moving this thing forward. Just press enter. Uh, yes, sir. I'm trying to press down. It's complaining. Okay. Or maybe I'll do it from the mouse side. Okay. Great. 
Okay. Um, so basically, that's the, the background to today's discussion. And uh, these discussions uh, are basically to promote um, a, a conversation among us so that we avoid situations like this that maybe from time to time might start hitting the press and we might not really like to see uh, situations like this coming out um, about uh, professionals in the actuarial profession. So today's uh, discussion is going to be, uh, I'm going to introduce um, the, the discussion on professionalism and I will then give you an opportunity to discuss a, a case study which we obtained from the uh, Institute and Faculty of Actuaries, which uh, covers in the in its subject matter issues that um, arise um, during the course of our work. And later on, you'll have an opportunity to also uh, discuss a, a case study that is South African-based. Uh, it isn't really a, a true case study, but the manner what we're trying to do is to um, sort of draw you to the attention that these matters do happen around here, and then we then get to discuss what your thoughts are uh, on matters that are, are sort of brought to fore by that uh, case study. Okay, so to start, I'll just have a quick word about professionalism. That basically professionalism re refers to the conduct, aims, and qualities that characterize a profession. And in our context here at, in, in South Africa or within ASA, that the principles of professional conduct include, firstly, the, the knowledge and expertise, which is all about the technical skills that we are taught and learn uh, to be actuaries. But then it goes further, it includes uh, values and behavior, which is how we do things and how we go about our lives at work and otherwise. And finally, it's about accountability, which is remaining, remaining accountable to the requirements of the profession that you belong to. Basically, that means that as a member, you will perform only those professional services for which you as a member are competent and appropriately experienced. That uh, a member shall act honestly with integrity, competence, and due care, and in a manner that fulfills the profession's responsibility uh, to, the, to the public. And on accountability, that a member is subject to the professional requirements and oversight of the society and therefore we shall do nothing that brings the actuarial profession into disrepute. Okay. <clears throat> Ethics, on the other hand, um, in fact, as defined in one dictionary, um, is a social, religious, or civil code of behavior considered to be correct especially that of a particular group, profession, or individual. And as you can see, basically, um, ethical behavior will therefore form part and parcel of professionalism. The code of conduct 
or the codes of conduct in general uh, by the professions, they set out the values and ethical behavior that's required of members of um, the profession with checks and balances to ensure that members perform uh, their duties in accordance with the required standards of behavior. So it is not only about what we know and what we can do technically, it is also about the behaviors that we portray. You, you'll bear with me, the, this uh, moving of the slides is a little bit complicated. And um, you know, when you come to my age, the eyesight is not very good. <laughs> okay. But uh, can ethical behavior be taught? In other words, can we be taught um, this? But one thing we know is that we attend professional courses when we enter the profession. But can we be taught how to behave ethically by the profession? The debate still is out there whether ethical behavior can be taught by the profession to its members in the same way as we do the professional field-specific competencies. Uh, learning about ethical behavior generally tends to go way back before you even enter the profession. But the importance of keeping up to breast with what you are expected to do uh, and what type of ethical behaviors you need to portray is something that has to be always upmost at the front of your mind and be developed from, I mean, over, over time through uh, um, practice. While the debate continues, um, I think we've got to be practical about things. And given the importance of, um, of ethical behavior in a professional's life, sessions like this can at best draw the attention of the members to, to these matters and at best guide us members of the profession to check ourselves whenever we make decisions or about to take action. I think that's as practical as we can be. Within the profession, we can at least guide each other what are the sort of things or ways we should, we should do to ensure that before we make decisions, we check whether the decisions we are going to take are um, in line with expected ethical behavior. I did find some guidelines um, which I thought I would share with you today. If you've seen it before, please uh, just bear with me. Uh, I found some guidelines uh, from an article by a Dr. Tom Licona, uh, who gave a set of questions that we can ask ourselves when in a situation where we've got to make a decision or take some cause of action, just to help check ourselves whether it's um, ethical behavior or not. And the examples that uh, he, he gave were, for example, uh, what he calls the golden test, that you have to ask yourself whether would I want people to do this to me? Does this action represent the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Would I want everyone to do this? Sly, cheat, steal. Um, would I want to live in that kind of, of world? Would you like to, to practice as an actuary in, 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 in a world where lies, cheating, um, 
is basically the order of the day. Um, the conscience test, as he calls it, does this go against my conscience? Will I feel guilty after I've done this or after I've behaved in that particular way? Might this action have bad consequences, such as damage to relationships or loss of self-respect self now and in the future? Or might I regret what I've done at some point in the future? How would I feel if my actions were reported on the front page of my home, of my home paper? Um, I think the, these are just practical guidelines that can help us navigate. And more of this, and the more we do this sort of thing um, and ask ourselves some of these questions, the lesser are the chances or opportunities that we are going to begin to behave in manners that are, are questionable uh, by the people that we serve, also by our peers um, uh, in, the, in the profession, or maybe peers in other professions. Okay, some, some further questions that I, I picked up that uh, maybe could, that could be of help. Um, is ask yourself, what does the professional code of conduct say about what I'm just about to do? We do have a, a professional code of conduct at ASA, and if you haven't read it, I would suggest you go read it. Um, I know at the moment there are some updates that are going to be coming. Um, it might not make the, the easiest of, of reading, um, and I would not say also read it just before you go to bed, um, but it's, it's something that you should always be at the front of your mind, um, because should you be found wanting by your peers or found wanting by the stakeholders that you're actually acting in contravention of the code. Um, then it brings all sorts of, of, of issues around your life and around your, pro your professional uh, standing that might actually affect your professional standing for many years uh, uh, to come. And I don't think even in the interest of the stakeholders that's a good thing. Um, Ask yourself also um, whether what you are just about to do is legal or not. There are many things that seem to be falling at the borderline, and I, I'm not sure if you should say, well, this is on the borderline, therefore I can do it. Um, I think ask yourself, is this legal? Can, can I be charged if I'm found to have done this? Um, and, and, and if there is any inkling that it could, then definitely that's not something to do as the professional. Okay. So basically I'm sharing this as so just some of the things that we can do to ensure that we keep our understanding of what behaviors are expected of us and which ones are not. And I will then show a case study which we got from the, we, well we didn't borrow, we reported from the Institute and Faculty Factories. For those that are members of uh, the IFOA, it would be very useful if, we are, if you aren't doing that, to always go to their website. They've got a string of case studies on uh, professionalism and other matters uh, that might be very useful in helping you keep up to speed um, with this. And I'm hoping that uh, as time goes on, we'll have some of, of you guys around here uh, building our own local case studies that we can use at conferences like this. <clears throat> so this particular case study 
uh, is about uh, an actuary uh, called uh, Paul, um, and uh, he is a senior manager of, of a team in their in their in their company, and is worried about um, um, some technical exercise. In this case, is capital modeling in his firm, where he seems to be the only one that's concerned, and um, will then run the case study. And um, as we run the case study and we enter discussions. I will encourage you to use even some of the questions that are raised up there to try and interrogate the behaviors and actions that uh, were taken by the people in the, in the case study. Okay. So at the end of the video, then that's your opportunity. I will give you uh, uh, some time to discuss with the people next to you the issues that are brought about by that case study in the area of professionalism and we will have about 10 minutes of that discussion with the people next to you, and then we'll pick it up uh, from there. Can we play the, the video? Ah, great timing, darling. Dinner is nearly ready. What, you cooked? Well, okay, it's on its way then. We're not Chinese again. We're having pizza, Daddy. Oh, great. Gluten-free pizza. Great. Okay, Grumpy. What's up? You stressed? Step into my office. Take a seat. Talk to me, my love. You hate it when I tell you about actuary stuff. You say it's boring. No, I don't. Oh, Paul, my darling husband, you look like you need to vent. And as your devoted wife, it is my job to make you feel better. Besides, pizza won't be here for ten minutes, so I've got time to kill. You asked for it. I sure did. Now, don't leave anything out. I love a bit of actuarial gibberish on a Friday night. Well, do, do you remember that um, senior management meeting I went to in France last month? Uh, how could I forget? You've only just stopped complaining about the trains being late. Yeah, well, I just found out that the MD flew there by corporate jet to deliver a speech on cost control. Perks of being the boss, I suppose. Yeah, well, it annoyed me. Well, and that's it? No, you've been grouchy all week, Paul. There's more to it than that. Start from the beginning. Let's talk it through. As part of this senior management scheme I'm on, I spent three years in secondments in different areas of the business. That finished last month, and I returned to where I thought I was happiest, the capital modelling team. I'm senior manager of that team. OK. I mean, I know all this, Paul. Well, you said start from the beginning. Well, yes, but I don't want to die of boredom before we get to the bit where I can actually help. Anyway, it's not what I, I thought it would be, you know. The whole approach to capital modelling has changed in the last three years. It's like a foreign language. You know, it's so complex. Layers within layers. Uh, tell the truth, I just feel stupid. Well, saying stuff like that is stupid. You're the second cleverest person I know. Well, who's the cleverest? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. Anyway, look, sometimes I ask my team for model documentation to try to get to grips with what's going on. And it's either too generic or it's written in such meticulous technical jargon that I just get lost and no one else seems to worry how the whole thing works. They just get on with it. Well, I can understand that. I mean, when you drive a car, you just drive it. You don't need to know how the engine is built, do you? No, that's just it. I think I should be able to tell you how an engine is built, even in simple terms. I'm worried because in the last three years that I've been away, the volume of business has grown by 80%, but the capital requirements have only edged up by 10%. So you know what that means, don't you? 
Not even a little bit. Well, it means that this new complex modelling is delivering much lower capital per volume of business than the previous simpler version. And I don't know what assumption or methodology is driving this relative reduction, but I do know that we might have crossed the line to what is reasonable and what is not reasonable. OK, so now I'm confused. I mean, isn't lower capital a good thing for the company? Oh, yeah. In principle, everyone's happy and looks great to the shareholders. I spoke to my boss about it and he seems pretty relaxed about the whole thing. And he said this new, more sophisticated modelling gives us a greater understanding of the sub-risks. And hey, presto through the magic of diversification, the result in capital is lower. I forgot to order garlic bread. Oh, I've lost you. Well, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm still with you, honest. Like, uh, look, this new, sparkly, complicated modelling thing, I mean, is everyone else happy with it? Well, yeah, it's been signed off by everyone, auditors, risk committee, the board, even the regulators didn't ask many questions. You know, my boss is happy and he said that I should be happy too and we've got more important things to worry about. Well, if your boss is happy, then there's not much you can do, my love. I mean, you don't want to go against him, do you? Didn't he say that you managing this capital modelling team was a bit of a springboard for future promotion? Yeah, he did, but it doesn't mean I should ignore my gut, does it? You know, the company is looking impressively solid and we're growing strongly and meeting our ambitious and aggressive targets. The shareholders are pleased. Everyone is looking good for pay rises. My end of year is coming up soon and I seem to be the only person who is not happy with this capital modelling. Everybody else, including a lot of very experienced and very intelligent actuaries, are happy with it. Is it worth getting this worked up about it? Yeah, but we're dealing with something that I can't properly explain. If certain events conspire against us, we could find ourselves unable to respond. We could even run out of money. Even worse than that, we could be heading for a complete disaster and no one else seems to notice. I don't know what to do. Pizza! Pizza. <laughs> going to continue a little bit um, for the second part. We will do a discussion after, after this. I'll bring the questions back up again. I envy you, Rich, you know. You were an actuary for what, 25 years? 27 years. Retired in your 50s, rainy days playing golf, <laughs> <laughs> drinking in the afternoon. You're living a dream, mate. Well, hard work will get you there, mate. Hey, what's the latest on that capital modelling issue? The last time we spoke, you were going to talk to your boss about it again. Yeah, I did. I had to. I just wasn't happy, you know. And how'd it go? Amicable enough. You know, Stuart's a nice guy and we get on well, but he was pretty clear about me not going on some lone crusade to pick apart saying that's already been signed off. He wants me to concentrate on the firm's strategic plans. So you're just going to drop it? It's not like you. I don't think I can drop it, you know. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the old thing. I just don't know what to do. I'm wary of raising the issue formally or through the firm's whistleblowing procedure, you know? It, it could be career suicide. What would you do? It's a tough one, mate. I don't really have enough information to be sure, but it might be worth having a chat with the profession support service. You reckon? How does that work? Oh, I don't really know the ins and outs. Never used them myself, but well, I've heard good things. And it's free. Free. <laughs> That's my favourite word. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. 
So what is it? Two blokes sat behind a desk or something? No, it's like a panel of experienced actuaries, and you tell them the problem, they give you advice. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but you get the gist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. experienced actuaries, are you one of them? <laughs> You're kidding, aren't you? I'm too busy playing golf. Yeah. Um, is all this synonymous? Yeah. I'm sure they could help you. Depends on the issue, I think. I don't know, mate. Someone might find out. It's your call, Paul. It's not for everyone. Yeah, why don't you ever think about it? While you're at the bar. Well, um, here we are with Paul, his wife, and his actually friend. <laughs> um, like I said, we'll have an opportunity uh, talking to the guys next to you. And the main issue here, remember, we are looking at issues in what happened there that touch on professional behavior by Paul um, or what his actions are likely to be. Um, the questions are, should Paul continue to ask questions or let it just drop? Um, you can see, obviously, he's got pressure from, from his bosses to, to drop whatever he's finding uh, is necessary to be done. Uh, how could uh, Paul find out more about the model? How could Paul assure himself that this model is robust? And has Paul taken on a role that maybe he's not prepared, uh, to, he's prepared for? It's now way over his head. And what ethical and professional issues arise in this instance? I did hear him say something about uh, whistleblowing. But in this instance, with this pressure on him, is it appropriate at that point in time? And then he also mentions, uh, I think his friend mentioned something about getting advice uh, from um, other senior actuaries in the profession. So I'll give you 10 minutes, uh, which I think should be enough, maybe if not more than enough, for you to then engage on this particular case study. Okay. Well, 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 uh, I must say it was pleasing to see the extent of dialogue that was happening here. Yeah. It just shows that banking actually is a very different people. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I think some, some of you will uh, share Paul's predicament in, in this video, um, where you have basically your boss is saying, okay, we want results. This got to be done and sometimes even be told how it's got to be done and you are not happy with the way things are, are to be done. Um, I think uh, I'm going to, we are gonna open discussion at the end um, of any things you picked up here together with the issues that are gonna be raised by the next discussion because there are a lot of, of, common, of commonalities and uh, I would rather give that floor open to everybody at the end of, of the presentation. Uh, is this thing? Here we go. Okay, so just to do a quick closing on this one, um, that uh, just by, by, by quoting some of the examples that um, come from the Code of uh, Professional Conduct that uh, I think uh, were, were and are relevant to the case study that we've basically seen. Okay. For example, that members will show respect 
for others in the way that uh, you conduct, uh, conduct themselves. And differences of opinion among members must be conducted objectively and with courtesy and respect. Because you will always find differences between yourself and your peers. But now how you deal with that, you've got to deal with that in a manner that uh, shows respect for and courtesy for your fellow uh, professional. Not that you shouldn't disagree, but the manner in which you disagree. And uh, members will consider whether advice from other professionals is necessary to ensure the relevance and quality of their work. Um, that it's, you are not an island, you are not alone. There are other professionals who probably have been exposed to similar circumstances before and probably know um, about the issues more than uh, you've been exposed to, that it's always your duty to ensure that you talk to, to those people so as to ensure that you, at least you can get some guidance um, uh, out, out of uh, those people. Uh, maybe in your fraternity in the banking industry, because of the uh, fact that banking, um, the actual actuaries in banking is still a relatively new uh, area. You don't have the depth of experience, for example, in the pensions area, where we've had actuaries for donkey years. So we've got many centuries of experience in pensions. Maybe in banking it might not be so, but you still have other people, in fact, even other professionals that can help give guidance so that you know that you make decisions based on, um, on what you know, that the quality of what you produce is up to the levels. Members will not allow undue influence of others to override their professional uh, judgment. Paul's problem. Um, and um, if you allow yourself to be swayed um, and get basically be told that we want answers that look like this, and then you provide answers that are wanted, and not necessarily the answers that from your professional standing you believe are appropriate, then there's a problem with that. And in fact, you might find some of your peers, if they observe that that's the way you conduct your work, or conduct your business, which is not in line with the uh, uh, professional uh, standards, you may well have that person come to you and talk to you about it. And um, if you maybe don't want to heed advice, then they might even get the profession involved. Members will speak up if they believe that a cause of action is unlawful, unethical, or improper. That we all have a duty that where we see that um, behaviors or actions taken um, do not meet professional standards, that uh, we don't have or we should not be quiet. We shouldn't shut up. Instead, we should speak up. Now, there's various ways of speaking up, and unfortunately, we don't have time to go through that. But I can only just encourage you that um, there, there are, for example, whistleblowing guidelines. I think ASA is going to be issuing some shortly. I think the, the institute and faculty have got some guidelines already. Let's find, explore that, and get guidance from it so that if you happen to be in a position where you've tried to throw somebody into um, the attention of what should be and um, you are not getting success, if you have to whistle blow, then follow the right processes that you do that and you do it right. Okay, uh, this takes me to the next um, discussion. Um, this, as you will well, realize is not a real
case study. It's not a real case. Um, unless you heard of Bart Simpson as a CEO somewhere. Okay. But it's based on the real story, and the real story that's happened not far from here. Um, so we adapted it from the recent um, uh, media, just as an illustration that things like this do happen here, where you have transgressions of professional codes of conduct, or shall I say business practices in general, where we wouldn't want to see fellow actuaries getting involved and being drawn and with their pictures and with their names being drawn into that sort of um, uh, situation. There are, this, this particular one, some of you recognize it. Uh, I'm sure they, there's a couple of ones uh, recently, and there's some going back many years that happened in the pension industry. And all of these, unfortunately, some of them actually threw actuaries um, into, the, into the fray. And I would like us, um, to discuss what in your view and in your observation that happened in the recent past in these corporate failures or, or, or this, um, the one that's called state capture, and then all those kind of activities that have drawn corporations, uh, firms into, into some form of disrepute. What's your view of the professional's behavior and the professional's ethical behavior that led to those circumstances. That's a discussion that I would like us to wrap the day up with, um, uh, with yourself. So draw into the discussion these kind of cases that have, that have recently happened. Draw into your discussion the poll case that we, we've just discussed. And let's say to ourselves, um, what are the main issues that have actually come up um, that we we see our profession and other professions being drawn to that people can learn from ethical behavior to avoid the situations that their, the professions and our profession have found themselves in. What professionalism and ethical questions have, have been raised in, in, in South Africa in recent months and years? And what do you think could have gone wrong in those instances? And what can the actuarial profession then do to ensure that the profession does not suffer any uh, reputational damage out of things like we've seen? And is the code of conduct, as we've, we've got it at the moment, uh, enough? Or is there some more that maybe needs to be done that will encourage us and help us to be in a position to do things the right way and avoid the situations that we've seen? So I will basically uh, ask you to uh, have that uh, discussion. Um, how many minutes have we got? About 15 minutes. I would say for the for the last 10 minutes, let's do this discussion. Uh, maybe let me say let's do let's take eight minutes of that discussion, and then the balance of the time will be an open flow um, uh, discussion. Okay, 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 okay. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you very much for the for the vigorous discussion. They say uh, time flies when you're having fun. So I can see uh, the eight minutes became six minutes. <clears throat> um,
That, that, that case study, as I say, wasn't really a real one, and, uh, but I think the point was made in, 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 the, in that um, uh, slide, and that um, it helps us look back and see where things probably were, had gone wrong in the way that we do. And uh, with the discussions, the way that they've happened here, in fact, I'm going to encourage you to take the numbers or email addresses of the people next to you so that you can organize a, a coffee group or tea group so that you can take these discussions further <laughs> outside of this meeting. <clears throat> okay. So as we, as we are about to, to close this, uh, I would like to spend the last minutes by throwing the discussion to the floor on the issues that you've picked up or issues that have been bothering you around the, the, the issue of uh, ethical behavior and, and professionalism. And um, I'm just going to share with you uh, only a few ideas that came out of previous presentations that maybe if um, you, you could also take them up and carry them further down. Um, then some ideas that maybe to, to foster this continuity of these kind of discussions, we should try and encourage the actuarial training organizations or the employers of actuarial students or where they are actuaries in practice to have internal forums where discussions like this can continue to happen. And um, that even in the workplace, like uh, I was joking about coffee groups and so on, that let's make, we can make that real so as to not talk about the technical stuff, but to talk about this kind of thing. Um, and then the suggestion of having case studies uh, to be written by some people who are able to hear, which are South African-based, so that we can immediately relate to, to those. Okay, so let's be specific to the cases that we've discussed um, uh, to today. Can we then open the floor and let's get uh, some comments on what we've picked up and what we think um, uh, should be. I think we can get the mics around. Um, and let's get comments. And please, this is equally an interactive session, so I'm not going to be the smart guy answering questions. Uh, the questions are basically comments that are directed to anyone who can make a contribution. Um, just one aspect of the whole discussion. Um, I think we saw in both cases that there was maybe a lack of um, due diligence to understand the problem. In both cases, there might have been room in the first case to get more information um, from experts outside or inside the organization. And in the second case, maybe the person um, did not do some basic checks on whether things are balancing. So some due diligence seemed to be lacking. Um, and one especially in the first case, cannot assume that um, something is wrong here. So some due diligence is key. Yeah. So basically, get your ducks in a row, uh, do a bit more digging, and in that digging, maybe even consult other people. Um, uh, we've got other fellow professionals, maybe not in your company, but elsewhere, where you're not going to divulge, uh, divulge company secrets, but talk about what your role is and what are the issues that or problems that you're facing and if they face similar problems that can give you more advice even that advice that maybe there's something you haven't done yet go do that and then come back let's talk yeah. 
Any, any takers on the issues on the second uh, discussion? What went wrong in the things that we've seen? So I think in terms of what we've said, um, a number of things coming in from um, the governance element that not a proper internal governance has been done from a transparency perspective, i.e. Uh, documentation not being specific enough, uh, being aimed at the incorrect levels, but also to, I think Conrad was talking, um, in terms of digging and making sure that people are doing the right protocols and being the change going down. Um, but also, I think we've had a bit of a debate to say there's not a big enough stick. Um, that there isn't a, people believe that there is reward to be gained from the risk, you know, so that there isn't a consequence or a big enough stick to beat people with for when things go wrong. Um, but on the other hand, there's not, not enforcement, there's, ah, goodness, my English, um, there's insufficient enforcement of any breaking of the rules to be able to beat people with a stick. So I think it's very difficult from an actuarial perspective. Uh, similarly, how do you enforce that people are following the ethics and professionalism until things have gone wrong? Mm -hmm. How do you pick it up sooner than, than later? Um, because people, they... It's in people's nature. They don't want to go and tell that this one did something wrong or that one. You know, you don't want to also be a culture of whistleblowers where trust is broken and, you know, you're in America where you sue everybody for everything. Um, so I think there needs to be some level of enforcement and some level of risk for them doing things wrong. But that's, that's our two cents. In fact, to add on that one, I think it was in the life presentation where I think that issue of enforcement uh, or a big enough stick um, was raised, um, which for us here basically it means uh, maybe the profession here needs to look closer, closer to what consequences are for, at a professional level, and if those consequences are heavy enough, or shall I say have got enough weight to be a deterrent from professionals taking excessive risk. Yeah. That even if you have the consequences, even have if you have this massive big bat, hmm. how how do you enforce it until yes. things go wrong? Yeah. Because, you know, I could be acting, I'm not, I could be acting unethically in my daily life, but I'm doing it so damn well that mm. no one can figure me out. And it, uh, no one will figure me out if I do it right. Mm. You know, but uh, until I get found out, I'm never going to suffer those consequences, you know. So it also comes down to your parents and, mm. you know, you, you cannot change somebody's behavior necessarily unless you're surrounded by people that are all preaching from the same choir book. Mm. Um, if you're a bad person, you're a bad person. Mm. Yeah. So I think you cannot, it's difficult to change human behavior and I think that's where this comes down to. Um, people are just nasty sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any, any hand? Does anyone else have anything to add? So I guess um, I was trained outside of the, the banking space and 
I think what's, what's uniquely different about the banking space is that there aren't as many actuaries sort of that you're reporting into. Your immediate boss is not likely to be an actuary and his boss and that person's boss. Whereas in a life insurance company, probably the three, four people above you are, are, are actuaries as well. So I think what's unique about the banking space is that sometimes this code of conduct that you're supposed to be married to isn't necessarily your boss's code of conduct or his boss's code of conduct. And banks are banks. I, I don't need to tell you what banks have done in the past and around the world. Um, so I think one thing that might be helpful in the banking space, and I think in, in most non-traditional spaces, is to make it very clear what the channels of, of discussion and sort of what the protection mechanism is. If you find yourself almost having to commit career suicide by holding yourself dear to this code of conduct, sometimes the decisions that you think you should make are not necessarily the decisions your boss wants you to make. And again, it might not be legal, but you feel that perhaps it's not quite what you are trained to do or what is required by your profession. So I think it's not always clear, particularly to people who are early on in their profession, what those mechanisms or channels are, or the fact that there is a layer of protection, that you can actually stand by your code of conduct and that your profession will back you up and you won't lose your job and be destitute and homeless. <laughs> so I think um, that's, that's one thing that I've noted is quite unique about the banking space compared to like your health, um, life and pension space. Well, uh, thanks for the, for, for the comments that were made and the discussion and I hope that the, the presentation has stimulated discussion among your, the, uh, the actuarial fraternity here not so much on technical matters, but on the, the softer side uh, of ethical behavior. And I'm hoping that these discussions will carry on uh, into the future. So just to close, um, professionalism is, as I said, characterizes the profession and its members. And let's not forget that ethical behavior is an integral part thereof. It's not only about the technical expertise. And uh, we do have a code of conduct which gives a lot more detail and I'm encouraging our members here to, to go and read. And then there are simple tests that we can use to, to check ourselves before we make decisions. And, uh, and that does not exclude you talking to, to, to other fellow professionals if you feel uncertain or uncomfortable taking certain decisions. And uh, the recent uh, events that we've seen uh, locally here, which I won't mention by name, um, they just are reason enough that we should be concerned about uh, uh, behavior uh, of uh, uh, professionals in their, in their fields. That being the case, thank you very much for the, for the opportunity and um, at least to increase the average age in your, in your conference. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the session, and I think uh, the discussion that came out of it was quite insightful. This is a small gift uh, from our banking committee to say thank you for your, for your time from, uh, from us. <laughs>